Welcome to Make Life Click. Together, we're exploring an exciting new approach to social media based on real life, not best life. Established upon a foundation of trust and accountability, our vision is to become a social centre point, a cooperative connecting a network of people and partners who are committed to having a positive impact on people's well-being, both online and offline. Welcome back to the Make Life Click podcast, the MLC. We're on episode two of season two. And Make Life Click is all about real life over best life. And during season two of the podcast, we'll be having conversations with people about the things that make life worth living in amongst the challenges and negativity that can seem to surround us at times. And I think we've all felt that, particularly over the last 15 months or so. And part of Make Life Click's vision is to explore a values-led approach to life, one where we intentionally base our choices, the things that we have direct control over on specific things, with the hope that this will have a positive impact on the lives of other people, and that it will provide a sense of well-being to us in return. The seven values of Make Life Click are trust, humility, honesty, kindness, appreciation, courage, and curiosity. I'm honoured today to be joined by Lucy Sleep. Hi, Lucy. Hi. Lucy is a sister in the acute medical unit at her local hospital. I'll give her a chance to introduce herself to all of us in a moment. But I have to say, Lucy, who I've known for quite a long time, is one of the most stoic, hardworking people that I've ever met. And I just love talking to her. So I'm so thrilled that you're here today with us, Lucy. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. So, Lucy, why don't you just give us an introduction to yourself and just tell us a little bit about your background. Um, As Tim said, my name is Lucy. I have been married to Ben for um, a month shy of 20 years. Um, We have four children, three of whom are now teenagers. So we are um, embracing all the joys and trials that that brings. Actually, I am loving teenager life mostly. I think this is probably my favourite parenting stage so far. Um, And uh, so we have been parenting through a pandemic, but I'm also, as Tim said, I'm a sister on the acute medical unit at our local hospital, which is an incredibly busy ward. Um, We basically take all of the medical patients that are being admitted from A&E as well as those coming in from GP surgeries. And then they stay with us until they can be sort of placed on the appropriate unit. So you can imagine, I see an awful lot of different different things, different people from different walks of life. So it's never, ever boring. Um, so that's me. That's what I do. Thank you, Lisa. I'm just, my head's already filled with just images of what it, it, it must be like for you in, in your job. And also just having four kids and having a, a really busy life too it just I, again I'm, I'm just really full of ab- admiration for you how's your life been over the past 15 months so during the pandemic period I think genuinely and I'm not just saying this one of the things that I look back on it with is an enormous sense of gratitude um I am really thankful possibly more in hindsight than I was at the time for the time that I got to be involved in my youngest um, son's homeschooling. He actually moved school in September 
Edinburgh. And then so the second lockdown, he was um, completely catered for by the school. It was all online live classrooms. But that first lockdown, on the days when I wasn't working, we would sit and do homeschool together. And I really treasured and valued that time, even though I think it was obviously quite stressful and my other children were so desperate to be at school. Um, But I'm also enormously thankful that I got to go out to work. I got to go to my workplace. I got to be with other people and to continue doing my job. And that is something I will never, ever, ever complain about or, you know, say, oh, gosh, it was so hard and it's not fair. Everybody else got to be at home or work in the garden or anything because I do not think I would have coped very well with that and my husband um, found that really difficult so there's a lot and obviously it was stressful obviously life changed it was very painful not being able to see family especially but also you know meet with friends we're a very sociable family we are all but one of us are very extrovert um we've always had people in our home we love meeting up with people so that was a huge adjustment and again another reason why I think I was rescued by being able to go out to work so it wasn't without challenge but actually a lot of it I look back on with a huge sense of of you know uh, thankfulness I guess I'm very thankful that we had moved so we live in a place where we can really enjoy being outside we live by the sea these are all things I'm very very aware that we had it really good and I, there are a lot of people that didn't have it and my heart really broke for those people but from a personal level um I'm just so thankful for all the ways in which our family was really blessed and carried through it in the UK we've been through three lockdowns and each of those lockdowns has had its own kind of characteristics in terms of where where we've all been how we felt at the height of the pandemic what would the average day look like for you um so I work long days the way the hospital our ward does it I think the whole hospital does it in fact is that you do 12 and a half hour shifts so you don't work every day I split it um so that I work one night every week instead of doing three or four nights in a row I find that works much better for me and for the family um so on a work day I leave the house about quarter past six in the morning and I'll get home about eight o'clock in the evening. So they are very long days and it's very, very full on. But on the flip side to that, I then have four, three or four days a week when I don't go to work at all. So um, on a work day, yeah, I'm up at quarter to six um, and then work sort of 12, 13 hours and um get home late and it, and I'm pretty exhausted but I do it because I actually genuinely really love my job it is very very hard work and it is very full-on and it is very stressful and actually the first lockdown we noticed everybody was redeployed so we had lots of extra staff people were avoiding hospital at all costs people were because of where we live it's got a slightly older population than a lot of the UK so we get a lot of elderly people coming in um and we found that those numbers dropped because families stepped in and you know tried to avoid their relatives coming into hospital um so actually that first lockdown was much quieter and calmer 
However, the second one after Christmas was a completely different story. And I think it's the only time on more than one occasion that I came home from work and just cried and thought, I can't, I can't do this. I'm so exhausted and this is really, really hard. Um, and at some points, I guess it began to not feel very safe. Part of my role at work as a sister is that I coordinate the shift. So you coordinate the movement of who's coming on the ward, who's going off the ward. And we were full mm. and there's not, really any breathing room or anywhere to go so having to make decisions about who stays in who goes out and it all just felt very very overwhelming so I would say that that second period of lockdown was far far worse than the first um also it was winter it was coming out after Christmas one of the worst things for me about the whole COVID situation in terms of a healthcare setting has been the enormous increase in um, mental health and addiction um, issues. Mm. That's and that's something that's not that's going to take a really long time to unpick and treat and come out of. And I would say that has been. For me, on on the ward that I work, in the environment I work in, that has been the most significant, sort of in hindsight, um, the most significant effect of COVID and one of the most traumatic. Mm. And that is something that really breaks my heart. And I have to work very hard at leaving that and leaving those people at work and not not dwelling on them. Sure, that's people listening who are hearing what you're saying and thinking well that's tough enough to hear just as a listener how do you cope with it when you're in the midst of it it's definitely a learning curve when I when I was doing my degree we dual trained for the first 18 months so we did mental health nursing and and general adult nursing and then you had to make a choice whether you went down the um, mental health nurse route or you came to the general nursing route I realized quite early on that I didn't think I would last very long in mental health nursing I am someone who absorbs the emotions of people around me if I'm with people who are quite happy and positive I I would say I'm quite a happy and positive person I don't tend to dwell on the negative I'm definitely a glass half full person um and I would say I was an optimist but when I am with people who are really sad or struggling I start to feel a take on their emotions and I would I know I wouldn't have lasted very long and I have got so much respect for people that work full time in really really difficult situations with people who are really really unwell um and one thing that i was really bad at as a student i didn't have children at the time we were just newly married so I did, we hadn't had any children but i got i remember clearly one evening coming home and just sobbing to my husband and saying what if this happens to someone I love? What if we have children and one of them is really unwell like this and I can't make them better? Yeah. 
and it feeling very real and very heavy. And it's definitely something that I have trained myself. I wouldn't say train myself out of it because that makes it sound like I'm not affected by it anymore. And I definitely am. But I think in my current job, you you never know what you're going to walk into. You never know what's going to be up with the next person that comes in. We very sadly get an awful lot of overdoses and we get a lot of um, people really who've reached the end of their rope and don't want to be here anymore. And when I first started three years ago, I began to get that sense of, oh, my goodness, I don't know if I can cope with this. Now I do have children and now I do have it felt like the stakes were too high. Um, but it's definitely something that I have learned to not get overwhelmed by if that makes hmm. sense I and I would say you're saying about coping I think it is about coping but I also think it's about self-preservation and knowing just thinking if I take this on it's going to make me feel really quite unwell myself yeah. so I can't I can't go there and I haven't become hardened um but I think I've become I'm struggling to find the word. Just, I know how to protect my emotions a bit more. Can I just ask you something more about around that, Lucy? So would you agree that in order to truly care and make a difference in the lives of patients, an amount of empathy is necessary and helpful? A hundred percent it is necessary and helpful. And unfortunately mostly I'm full of admiration for all of the people I work with but I'd be lying if I didn't say there were times when I stood there and just wanted to basically walk right in and tell whoever was speaking to like you you can't speak like that you can't you know these are human beings you can't you you can't assume these things you can't you can't say those things because that's it's not kind Mm. so absolutely you need to treat with empathy but there is a there is also an element of you have to be tough, tough love, especially in areas of addiction and alcoholism. They're, they're, oh, my goodness, you need so much empathy. And so I've got so much sympathy and my heart breaks for these people probably more than others. I guess I, this is the area that I just could sob. And I look at some people and I just think you are somebody's son you are somebody's daughter Mm. my instinct is do you want to come and live in my house and I'll look after Mm. you that's obviously not not um not appropriate and it's (laughs) completely not viable but so I think it's a it's a fine line between empathy and actually not being helpful because it's also not helpful just to pat everyone on the head and say I know I know it's really tough but unfortunately, I do know that most people leave and we're going to see them again. Let's talk about human connection, Lucy. So Make Life Click, one of the things we talk about a lot is connection. And it's a very simple word, but we've learned in many ways during the pandemic in particular, so over this last year or so, just how important human connection is. How have you seen that demonstrated in a, in a hospital environment, not just towards patients, but amongst staff too? I think this is um, 
we one of the toughest things about nursing through the pandemic I feel like I've said that a lot like there's a lot of tough things but one of the things that I found tough and speaking to my nurse friends that I've trained with who work in all different areas of healthcare different types of nursing one of the things that's been really difficult is not having any visitors and telling patients and you are we have a lot of patients who are given very bad news because you know on because of the nature of the ward I work on and it's so soul destroying to think you you've your husband your wife your daughter your son you know can't be with you this feels really really wrong because actually what we all need is you know somebody that knows us someone that loves us we need to be with people mm-hmm. um and it's been so that's been really difficult saying I'm really sorry you can't come in or you can't come and be with them it's too it's too risky and people have understood on the whole the reasons for that and that how high the stakes are but that has felt really and it continues to feel we are beginning to allow some sort of visiting but I find that really difficult when I'm in charge and someone says oh can I come in and see I find it very very hard to say no no you can't because I would Mm. If it were my relative, or they'd have to kick me out because I wouldn't, I wouldn't go anywhere. So, in terms of the staff and the team, we've almost had to step into that role as well. So, if someone is given bad news or someone is really struggling, we've had to not just be nurses, healthcare assistants, doctors. We've had to sort of take on a sort of relative role to help people process things, and on a very, very manic ward that can feel very frustrating if I feel like I actually I really want to spend this time with you but it's impossible because I've got x y and z that are time critical to get done um but at the end of the day I mean we all need to feel connected to people we all need to have know that someone's in our corner and that's been much harder when we haven't been able to physically have people present does that make sense it does and in terms of a team I remember we actually right at the start we lost one of our team to COVID um it was horrendous um she actually was admitted in London because she'd been feeling unwell before so she'd gone home um and I just remember when the news came I was cooking tea and someone from work phoned me I absolutely it was just awful because when you work I'm sure it's the same but this is the only profession really that I've really worked in but you become so close and so tight and when that's rocked it's horrific and then the fear creeps in and you start thinking oh my goodness is this going to be next this is, seems so indiscriminate that some people don't even know they've got COVID I mean talking COVID specific some people are so ill that they die and then the fear creeps in and then actually the only people that fully know what that's like are the people that you're at work with so that brings everyone it brings a tighter bond between you all because you're all in the same situation and suddenly it feels a bit scary within that Lucy just in terms of something you said earlier you said about training yourself that you've you've trained yourself to be able to 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 cope and to walk the fine line between empathy absorbing emotions and really connecting at a human level which 
could become very overwhelming versus saying nice things but remaining emotionally distanced within the context of your team and you being forming such close bonds with the colleagues that you've worked with was there anything specific that you talked about together in terms of the choices that you can make in terms of the things that you do have direct control over within an environment that at times probably causes you to feel very out of control were there any specific choices and particularly choices that relate to kind of values so we know about we've we've talked about the make life click values and we've talked about this concept of values-led living was there anything around sort of values-led working and a values-led support um, that you agreed to provide to one another Is, is there anything that you can share around that it can be really simple sort of seemingly frivolous things like I think there were probably more um instances where everyone would say oh at four o'clock in the morning this is absolutely hell on earth here should we order a KFC (laughs) which you would never normally do but it was kind of like knowing that you just needed to do something seemingly frivolous and normal in amongst all the stuff that that wasn't normal and um I mean the other another thing that was really really lovely bordering on uncomfortable was that the whole country sort of rallied behind the NHS which was really uh, really really heartwarming and I was again another thing that I would add to being something I was very grateful for so we would have random deliveries then sort of people would bring in 50 tubes of hand cream and you know or suddenly Nando's would turn up and say look we've got to close so we've cooked everything that we've got in our fridges and here it is so there was it was helped I think the sense of unity and working together was enormously helped by the way the whole country and you know the town that we live in all pulled together and we're like look we want to feel like we're doing something so we're going to do stuff for you And that was a really sort of unifying experience for those working together, but also those that weren't in the hospital that wanted to do something. It was enormously appreciated. And, you know, there were some wards on the hospital that were unaffected. There were some that were incredibly badly affected. And I think as well, it's about being aware. And this is something that I'm constantly needing to work on. And I know I'm not very good at. It's being aware that not everybody processes stuff the same way that you do mm. not everybody there's a saying I'm trying to think what it is when it's it's something about you know never never judge someone you don't know what's going on in the background that's not the saying but I can't think what it is like you never know what's going on for somebody yeah. you only know what they choose to tell yeah. you and I know that I can be a bit we've all worked with people that you know call in sick a lot and we all work with people that you start to be a bit like, oh, for goodness sakes, you know. And I know that I have got a bit of a tendency. I mean, I'm mercifully, I'm very, very rarely ill anyway. But, I, you know, I'm probably in 20 years, I've had about two days off sick. But I know that I can be a bit, oh, come on, pull yourself together. And that's really something that I've had to work on because you you just don't know how people process things and some people actually have been too scared to come to work and that is fine and I get it and I think this year has definitely made me more 
empathetic, sympathetic, whatever mm. the word is, to people who actually just, you know, find find stuff, find going out, find going to work, you know, much tougher. I'm very blessed that I am energised by being with people. Not everybody is. What would you say you've learned about yourself? I think I've learned that actually I'm stronger mentally than I would have ever said I was that I cope with things I was reflecting I went for a walk with one of the um, other sisters yesterday it was lovely we went for a long walk together she's just had a baby three weeks ago so she's been on maternity leave with COVID she you know people went on maternity leave much earlier so she's been out of the work environment for a long time but we still regularly meet we went for a walk yesterday and I was reflecting on how nervous I used to be to go to work because I was thinking what if somebody comes in and I actually can't cope with whatever's happened to them Mm -hmm. and something that I've always found very difficult I had a real issue with was the idea that of people taking drugs and really harming themselves um this is something that I very quickly had to just suck it up and get on with because we have an awful lot of people that very sadly are in that situation come onto the come onto the ward and what i used to do was really suddenly immediately be like oh my goodness what if that's one of my children oh my goodness someone's going to offer one of my sons something one of our sons has no sense of risk he's up for anything that he thinks is an adventure he's a great great kid but he scares the living daylights out of me and i would always think what if that happens to him what if that happens oh I can't control this oh and it would send me into a bit of a tailspin and I genuinely don't even think think like that anymore and I don't know what caused the change uh, other than saying uh, there's no way I could have carried Mm -hmm. on thinking like that and worrying like that but and I think it's probably been gradual and we were just talking about it yesterday and when you were saying earlier about um worrying what if that happened to somebody that I really loved Mm. I think that less and less maybe you just become accustomed to it maybe you switch off but I'm definitely have realized I'm I'm stronger than emotionally than I would have thought that I would Mm. be certainly doesn't sound like you've started to switch off Lucy it sounds like you're more you're more engaged than ever with people's situations and the emotions that they're feeling but I wonder if either intentionally or just being part of um your go back to the time you use self-preservation whether you just hold life a bit more lightly now live a little live a little bit more in the moment I definitely hold life more lightly now and this is something that I'm working on continually you know I've made reference so we have a daughter who's nearly 18 who is painfully like me in a lot of ways that and that's uncomfortable isn't it when you see someone who's so like you you've sort of become oh gosh um is very very sensitive but she's very risk averse so she will oh I can't do that you know because such and such might happen not in terms of she'll climb a tree she'll jump off high slides she'll do all of that stuff but in terms of worrying about future stuff and I see my teenage and my young adult self in her 
And I wish I could tell her it's taken me 41 years to just sort of, as you say, you know, hold things more lightly. Mm. Um, And I wish that I could say that to her now. You don't need to worry about this. She worries her brother. Every time we go near a road, she says to her youngest brother, stop, stop, don't, don't get run over. I said, and I have to say to her, look, he's not your responsibility. He's mine. You don't need to worry about, you know, bad things happening to him. That's my job. Um, and then our next son, so he's 15, and he's the complete opposite. If something's an adventure, he's all over it. And so we've got two very different. Our daughter's given us an incredibly easy ride through teenagerhood. It's a very different story and it will be a very different story again with number three. He's different, different personality. And he finds it hard that he lives in the shadow of number two and will say, why are you asking me this? I'm not him. The other one. So, I mean, I, but I am learning not slowly. It's not something I'm very good at to be okay with them making the decisions and actually being okay, I have to be okay with them making mistakes mm. and with them, not them making mistakes in terms of I'll be cross with them, but then I just, could I cope with the pain of watching something bad happen to them? Mm. But actually I have to because, because they're their own people and that's how we learn and that's how we grow. And I made hundreds of mistakes and I've survived but so it's a constant learning curve. And I would say for myself, I definitely hold life more lightly. But it's a different story when you're having to do it on behalf of somebody yeah, else. Yeah. And that's something that I am learning and trying to be better at. I guess you could link that into hope over fear. We talk within Make Life Click, within the community, you know about hope over fear. And what you've just said there really resonates for me in that respect that we can live a life of fear. We can live a life really focusing around the what ifs, trying to control situations, trying to plan for all the potential challenges that could be ahead of us so that nothing comes as a surprise and such that we, and we, and this, I think there's an element isn't, isn't there of kind of kidding ourselves around this, but if we catastrophize, as it were, if we look into the future, we feel that we can put things in place to either prevent things from happening or enable ourselves to cope with those things should they happen but what that can actually end up doing is just rob us of joy in the here and now and as adults as parents have a a a negative influence on our children and those who depend on us thinking around that area of hope over fear am I right in thinking that you probably actually through letting go, through holding life more lightly, you're actually quite naturally making more of your decisions based on what you hope for rather than what you fear. I definitely am. And as I say, this is something that I'm working on. This isn't something that comes very naturally. But the other thing that I have to work on, I sort of become slightly focused on, I've just got to get him to 18 unscathed. (laughs) And but actually I don't want to wish the next three years away. I love having teenagers and mostly they're such a laugh and we have a really good time together and it's, it's really good fun. Um, and, you know, we're very boy heavy in our family and I love the physicalness 
of life. I love, and I love the noise. Probably our neighbours don't appreciate it so much. But, you know, I like the chaos that comes with a big family and especially with all this, you know, growing men now in my house. Um, but I do have to check myself and think, oh, I haven't just got to get him to 18. It's not like he's going to get to 18. I'm never going to worry about mm. him again. But, and actually what I want to do and what I tr- I'm try very hard to, my husband is excellent at this. He's better than me at this. It's just as long as they talk to us, there's nothing catastrophic that's going to happen. And, um, you know, I'm really, really blessed that our kids, are, are, they're all great talkers, but that my husband is so brilliant with them at just getting them to talk and open up. And he's he's fairly unshockable. I mean, both of us are, to be honest. We've seen it all. And, but um, I just want them to know that there's nothing that they can't tell us, that there's nothing that we can't talk through, work through they are going to make mistakes and it's far more painful as a parent watching your child do something that you know is going to harm them. But to them, they're far less affected Mm. by it. And actually it's really important that they do stuff that's a bit dangerous. And it's really important sometimes that they do stuff that they've sort of frightened themselves. And we've got the opposite with our eldest. I almost willing her to do something (laughs) naughty so she can realize the world doesn't end if that makes sense so we've got the we've got the two ends of the spectrum we've got one that we're sort of going you don't need to worry you don't need to worry and we're saying to the other one you need to think about this and be a bit more worried so you know it, it neither neither can win can they but i think it's a definitely definitely and i think about that a lot when you say about hope over fear and actually, my hopes for them are that they're all going to be really fulfilled and really happy and, you know, enjoy their lives. And actually, it robs it robs me of joy. It robs them of joy if they've got if we're going, oh, but don't do that or don't do that or don't. You mustn't ever do that in case that happens or. But that's something I have to work quite hard at. I'm not I'm not going to yeah. going to lie and say, oh, no, that's something I'm really chilled about because I'm not. I'm trying to be. Lucy, let's just talk very briefly around social media and i think this is a good time to talk about social media because we're talking about young people young adults and also i'm just in my mind reflecting back to what you said about some of the patients that you see and their situations which really break your heart particularly around areas of um addiction drug abuse thinking again around the the power of human connection Vulnerability, we haven't used that word in our conversation, but vulnerability comes through loud and clear as one of the things that um, we have to be more willing to express. We have to be vulnerable in order to realise some of the hope-filled things in life. Social media-wise, what are your hopes for the future of social media online networking, particularly amongst the younger generations? Um, I love social media from a personal point of view. I am, I love knowing what's going on with people. I love keeping connected with people. I've found it, it's been brilliant in terms of I've, I'm from a very big family. We've got lots of cousins that I probably, I'm terrible at phoning people. I never phone people. Um, I do FaceTime sometimes, but I'm, I, I hate being on the phone. 
And I do try and sort of keep in touch and keep up with people. But social media, we've moved around quite a lot. And social media just makes that really easy. And for me, I live quite a busy life. Anything that makes it easier gets my vote. Um, But on the flip side, I am very aware that what people put on social media is what they choose to. They cherry pick all the good stuff. And I know people, we all know lots of people, that when you speak to them, everything is awful and, you know, they're really struggling with things. But then what they choose to put online is, you know, everything's great, everything's brilliant. And I see firsthand in terms of our daughter how harmful that is. And she will regularly step away. She's quite she's quite good at self-preservation and say this is this is not helping me because I I know that not everybody is having a brilliant time in their what social media tells us is a perfect body and with their perfect skin and all the rest of it. She said, I know that's not real, but when it's bombarding you and that's what you see all the time, you start to it has a really negative impact on your own mental health. I also worry about social media for my children in terms, I mean, we have quite strict rules and about phone usage at home where they're allowed their phones to try and protect them. But you can't, you can't shield them from everything. You just can't. It's impractical and it stops being helpful um, because they just want to escape. And the more rules you put in place, the more they want to break them. Um, But so it's a really difficult balance. I, as a 41-year-old, fairly wise, worldly wise person, have a very different um, relationship with social media than my teenagers do. But I, yeah, as I said, you know, I personally, I really like social media for the ease of connection. As you say, I can keep up with and I use social media to interact and I know not everybody does. I chat to people, I message people. I, I'm not someone who just sort of keeps an eye on what people are doing and doesn't interact with it. So I've always been someone that um, engages with social media, if that makes sense. Um but I would love, and one of the things that I love about Make Life Click is that it's got such a positive, it looks for the positives, but it looks for, as you said, the vulnerabilities. I hope that I try hard not to be, and I hope I'm not someone that only um, portrays the good things that are going on. I feel like I'm very honest, probably far too honest for some people, and they wish I wouldn't be about saying, you know, I found this really tough today or I, you know, really screwed up on this. Hey, we're all normal. And I'm aware that looking at our family from the outside, we have a really good life. We have a really nice life. And I, but I don't want everybody to think, oh, it's all right for them. They've got it all together. We haven't. Nobody has. And I think that I um, I am very okay with being vulnerable and um, you know for people to see my vulnerability that's fine and I get that that's not for everybody but I really love that make life click sort of encourages that in a positive sense in terms of people just being real and honest and not judging and not trying to set everything up for the perfect 
Instagram shot that portrays the best of everything. It's about being real. Mm. And I am absolutely all over that being real. And I really try to live my life being real and saying, you know, actually this, this bit's going really well, but I'm really struggling with this bit. If you've got any suggestions, what can I do? Can you help me out? What, you know? Yeah. And I think Lucy there, you've, you've just struck on something that's, that's really important in terms of make life clear. I'm sure there are some people listening who will think, okay, well, that's all fair and, and well saying, don't only show the bits of your life that you want the world to see that are the bits that you feel are going really well but let's talk about real life let's talk about um, things that aren't going so well there might be some people listening who think um that's all fair and well but i'd i'd rather talk about that stuff offline i'd rather um, meet up with someone i'd rather talk about it with someone on the phone but would you agree that with our younger generations they perhaps live their lives more on online and in, increasingly their communication with each other is only online they don't meet up so much they might not call each other up so they don't have the same experience as young people as we do as older generations so that, so that makes some sense that completely makes sense and taps into something else that I worry about that the effect that social media has had continues to have on social development I mean it's been proven hasn't it that it's actually really bad for social development and my husband and I will often say oh my goodness I'm so glad there wasn't social media when I was at school when xyz happened because it would have been recorded and it would and we have said to our children anything you put online even if you later delete it it's still there it's there forever um so just think about it I mean I'm very blessed in the fact that none of them are great you know uh, um, really want to put an awful lot of themselves on it I mean they use it more apparently it's very uncool to text nobody texts anymore or even whatsapps or any of that you have to do it all on dms which also scares the living daylights out of me I bit of a technophobe and I don't really get it all and if I don't understand things I tend to just ignore it but um this whole concept of being able to message people and it vanishes. I don't get that. And I, I don't like that. But again, it goes into you, you're responsible for your own children. It's about educating them, telling them the reasons why. And my kids have to leave their phones downstairs. We will sit there in the evenings and their phones are pinging. I'm like, why, why are their friends not in bed? But they're, do you know what? I'm not called to parent other people's children. I'm called to parent my own children. So that's a different tale. But I, it, I would always encourage my children, and actually they're quite good at it. Go meet such and such. Go for a walk. Go for a go down to the beach. Go go and actually see people, rather than talking to them virtually. I am aware that that's easier for me because my children are like my husband and I. They are people, 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 and they enjoy those things. So they would choose those things over seeing them online. My younger son, however, is more of an introvert. And I think this is going to be something that is potentially more of a challenge with him. I mean, he's only 11. It's, it's not a problem at the moment. He comes with us or, you know, he sees his friends. It's not, it's, we're still in that um, time of life with him. He's not really independent, but I, it, I get very sad for that whole generation that I feel 
social media is great, but it has a place. And I feel like it's taken over a little bit the way that they socially interact. But again, that's up to parents and individual families as to how they manage that. And I can only do that for my family. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's actually something that we're really looking to um, encourage through the Make Life Click community is to establish something online that directly encourages and enriches people's offline lives with a real special focus on the younger generations. And who knows what the future could hold in that respect. But I personally, I'm really encouraging adults to engage with this because it's all too easy for an adult just to say, you know what, I'm I'm personally, I'm done with social media. But our children, our young people um, can't do that. Um, I think that the pandemic has had a real effect on that because of not being able to meet up with people that more and more stuff has gone online. And I think that's going to be quite difficult to bring it back offline into reality. That's that's going to have a bit of a lasting impact. Lucy, I, I could talk to you all day. I have nothing but admiration for you. Um, thank you for talking to me, talking to us, and revealing some of the things that you've experienced, both in terms of your work within the hospital environment, but also in family life too. I can tell you're extremely passionate about everything that you do just reflecting back on the last 15 months and thinking around this whole area of human connection and what we need at our core as human beings if you could just leave people listening with one thing just to put you on the spot what would it be it would definitely be something around the living in hope it would be about not being afraid to be real with people but to embrace the realness and encouraging people to interact the more real we are with people the more real people will be with us and that's where real connection is made and that's where relationship is made and that's where people grow thank you lucy you're welcome thanks for listening to the make life click podcast we hope it's been helpful for you please leave us a comment wherever you listen to podcasts and we hope you'll join us again next time.